Welcome to the Emmanuel Message Podcast. Our battle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, authorities, and powers of this dark world. In this message, Andy talks about how to walk in the Spirit and not in our own strength. Enjoy the message, and thanks for joining us. Now, just a few weeks ago, uh, a few of us, uh, we went uh, with uh, some friends and their, and their children to a corn maze. Anybody gone to a corn maze yet this year? Anybody? Corn maze people in here? Nobody's gone to a corn maze? Seriously, go to a corn maze. They're fun, all right? So one of the cool things about corn mazes as you go around and you navigate the corn maze is that you can get through it faster if you can answer the clues, all right? So there's usually stations around the corn maze, and if you can answer the clue, you'll get the direction you should go. And the topic of the clues in this particular corn maze was Donkey Kong, all right? Anybody Donkey Kong experts in here? Apparently, I'm a Donkey Kong expert. Didn't know it, but I slayed it, all right? Question number one. Let's see how we do here with our Donkey Kong trivia, all right? How many levels are in Donkey Kong, all right? Okay, whoever said four, three, or six are wrong. It's three, all right? What does Donkey Kong throw, right? Barrels. There we go, right? Um, What is the uh, hero in Donkey Kong? Who's the hero? What's his name? Mario. That's right. What was his original name? Jumpman, who said Jumpman? There we go, very good. And here's the fourth one, and this is the one that got us all messed up, but it said, who is the princess that Mario is saving in Donkey Kong? Okay, you're all wrong. You see, everybody said it was Princess Peach, but actually, I know this, you can Wikipedia this, do this after service, because you'll go on a wormhole, whatever it is, but, but Wikipedia will back me up on this. The original name of the princess was Pauline, all right? Pauline, and I'm right on this one, but I don't think the corn maze got the memo, and so when I answered Pauline, we went the wrong direction, even though it should have been the right direction, and guess what? We were playing by the rules. We weren't pulling our phones out, but everybody else that was in that corn maze, they were Wikipedia in it, they were Googling it, they were looking at it, they got Pauline too, not because they knew it, because they were cheating, and guess what? We started walking, which should have been the right way, but it was the wrong way, and how we know it was the wrong way? Took it in a big circle, as all corn mazes do, and it brought you right back to clue number four, and we look at it again, I'm like, well, we were right, it's Pauline, let's go walk the same way. So we walked the same way, thinking, surely this will get us the right way, but it brought us back to clue number four. So I said, you know what, let's just do it again. So we walked the same way. Why? Because Pauline is the right answer, right? But we kept on walking, and we walked in this big circle, and we ended up at number four. Somehow we thought that if we walked in the same circle, even though it was the same circle, that somehow was going to lead us a different place. And how often is life that way, right? Have you ever felt this way? You felt lost, and you felt like you've been going in circles, and somehow, if you go in that circle just one more time, it's gonna end up somewhere different. By the way, it's Pauline. I, I, trust me on that one, all right? But yet, we go in these circles in life thinking we're gonna end up somewhere different. Maybe you've driven somewhere, Right? You've driven somewhere, you got lost, and there's no way you're gonna get directions from anybody. This happened to me in Boise, Idaho a couple months ago, and I got lost. My GPS wasn't working, and instead of stopping asking directions, I passed by the same building three times before I went into the hotel room. Allison's like, where were you? I was like, I was being a dude, not getting directions, all right? Maybe, though, on a more serious note, Perhaps you have an anger issue and you just blow up at people and it never goes well, but you've never changed your approach and you keep on blowing up at people and you're wondering why does it go so badly each time? Or maybe you're in a marriage where it's not going well, but you don't have a date night going, you're not communicating, you don't treat each other right, but you're scratching your head like, why isn't our marriage growing? Or maybe you end up in bad situations because it's the friends that you hang out with and you're like, man, every time I hang out with these friends, I end up in this same destination, why do I hang out in the same destination? Maybe you'll even change your friendship group, but they're kind of the same friends like your previous friends, and you end up in the same place, and you're scratching your head. Why am I in the same place? Because here's the deal. If you travel the same circle, you'll end up in the same place. And today we're living a life, and we're in a culture where things are a bit stressed out. I mean, you may have had stress before the pandemic, but we are living in a world where everybody's just about ready to lose their mind at any given notice, all right? You might not know it, but you're like, why did I just get so worked up? Because everybody's stressed out right now, right? What do you mean the lobby's closed and I have to go through drive-thru? I can't believe life, right? Everybody is stressed out, even by the smallest things. And so, instead of walking in circles for many of us, some of us are running in these same destructive circles. Now, God's word is 
very, very clear. How you walk and where you walk, it matters. And he's calling you this morning with his voice. God is clearly leading you, but the question is, are you following him? When he's leading you with his voice, he's telling you to walk towards him in his ways, not back away from him, not to the left or the right, or even a pause. I think a lot of believers sometimes are like, well, I'm just going to hang here for a bit, God. No, God's like, no, follow me. So if you're going to thrive, you need to walk with the pace and the direction that God is calling you to right now within his authority, not your authority, not somebody else's authority, but the authority of God's word lived out in your everyday through the power of the Holy Spirit. So today we're gonna look at this because God's word says a lot about it. Galatians chapter five, verse 16. Let's turn to Galatians five sixteen. If you have your Bibles or on the Emmanuel Kenosha Church app, go ahead and download that if you don't have it. Galatians 5, 16, and as you're turning there, a bit of a background on the book of Galatians. Uh, it is written to the churches of Galatia, um, and these churches were in crisis. Paul helped establish uh, these churches, but shortly after his departure, false teachers, whom the Bible calls wolves, we talked about that last week, right? Wolves uh, came in and infiltrated the church with doctrines that were of works-based legalism. So instead of placing your faith and trust in Jesus and Jesus doing all the work on the cross, uh, this doctrine that came in was telling people, you needed to do certain things, specifically with circumcision and, and holding up of the Jewish holidays, bringing back all these different works to really prove that you were saved. And Paul was like, no way, what are you doing, Galatians? Who, he literally said this, who has bewitched you? So whether, and today we, we can add things to the gospel, whether it be water baptism or spiritual gifts or some kind of knowledge or growth or sacraments or extra good works, anything you put on the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross is not the gospel. It's not. It's a false gospel. Anything added as a condition of salvation is not the gospel. And as a result of these teachers that crept in, People were going all sorts of different directions. Some people were rebelling against the things of God and turning to paganism. Some people were, were turning to a religious dead works. And so Paul hits this head on in this, uh, in this letter. And so let's go to Galatians 5.16. And this is what he says. I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you'll certainly not carry out the desires of the flesh. For the flesh desires what is against the spirit and the spirit desires what's against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you are not under the law. Here's the main idea. Oh, it's a, it's a brilliant one. Where you walk is where you'll go. Where you walk is where you go. The reason why that's the main point this morning is sometimes we think if we walk a certain direction just this one time, we won't end up in that destination. But the idea is this, where you walk is where you will go. We often are not paying attention to the paths that we're walking on and then we become surprised where we ended up. I heard someone say it this way. He said, no person has ever come up to me and said, I'm so encouraged about my marriage, I'm getting a divorce. Or I'm so encouraged about school, I'm thinking about dropping out. Or, or our teenager saying, you know, I'm so encouraged about my faith, I'm going to start taking drugs. <laughs> Nobody ever said that. It's always small decisions that we make in our life, sometimes big ones, but often small ones, the accumulations of small decisions that push us to certain directions. And we end up where we all are as a result of that. Where you walk is where you will go. So today we're going to look at three specific paths. Three specific paths, two are destructive, only one is fruitful. So let's take a look at the first destructive path. The first destructive path is this, walking with the enemy. We've talked about the enemy the last few weeks. Galatians chapter 5, verse 16. I say then, walk by the Spirit, and you'll certainly not carry out the desire of the flesh. For the flesh desires what's against the Spirit, and the Spirit desires what's against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you do not do what you want to do. Simply speaking, the remedy to evil is walking by the Spirit. Now, that word walk in Scripture uh, describes the pattern of one's life. If you're walking in the things of the flesh, walking in things of the devil, walking in the things of God, that is describing your pattern of life, your way of life. So to walk by the Spirit requires one to follow his direction and be filled in the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. You, you cannot walk with the Spirit just by knowing the things of the Spirit. You have to walk in it in his power. 
You cannot be empowered by the Spirit if you don't walk in his ways and pattern of life. This doesn't mean that you are perfect. Nobody's perfect, okay? Nobody should act perfect. No one should act self-righteous. We are in desperate need of God every single moment of our life. So when we submit to the things of God, we began to be governed by God in our life instead of being governed by the flesh. And that flesh is our fallen nature. Now, as we've talked about in the course of the last few weeks, we have a real enemy, Satan, who is a fallen angel. He was once an angel. He fell. He took one-third of the angels with him. And there's no way of salvation for demons. Once they fell, they fell. And their fate is sealed. They will spend eternity away from God. When Jesus comes back and judges the world, the enemies are going down. But they know this, and until then, they are trying to take each and every one of us down, or at the very least, sidetrack us from the things of God. He opposes the kingdom of God and God's work in you. He wants you to be an agent of division instead of an ambassador of the gospel. And he sets a trap to rebellion and through dead religion as he did the Galatians. And the enemy is constantly whispering lies to you. The Bible's not true. Hell isn't real. It doesn't matter how you live. Can you believe that person? Can you believe how they're acting? Go ahead and do it. You deserve it. It's not that bad. Come on. He's always whispering things for your destruction. That's his MO. That's his mission, to oppose the things of God. And so when we choose not to be led by the Spirit, we're opening ourselves up to this style of demonic attack. Now, often when we think of demonic attack, we go back to, you know, Hollywood. I mentioned this a few weeks ago, you know, the head spinning in the 360 degrees. And typically that's not what you see, but often we think of what's called demon possession. I will say this. I don't want to discount demon possession. Demon possession is real. It happens. It's dangerous. Uh, Demon possession occurs when a demon takes hold completely of a person's thoughts and personality. They're trapped. Demon possession can only occur in a person who is not born again. You see, when you are born again, uh, you, you are filled with the Holy Spirit. The Spirit comes to live inside of you. And where the Holy Spirit is at, demonic influence cannot reside in. Now, we'll talk later about something that's close to demon possession. It's called oppression. We'll talk about that in just a moment. But if you are born again, you cannot be possessed by, demo- by demon or, or by, uh, by Satan or, or anything demonic for that nature. But for a non-believer, their soul is already guided by sinful fleshly nature and possession is possible. We actually see a vivid picture of this. Uh, There's a number of pictures in in the gospels, but I wanna go to Acts chapter 19, verse 13. I'll put this on the screen. Now, some of the itinerant Jewish exorcists also attempted to pronounce the name of the Lord Jesus over those who had evil spirits. So when scripture says those who have evil spirits, they were demon possessed. So these itinerant Jewish exorcists said, I command you by the by the Jesus that Paul preaches, seven sons of Sceva, a Jewish high priest, were doing this. Verse 15, then the evil spirit answered them, I know Jesus, I recognize Paul, but who are you? Oh, this movie just turned into a horror movie. Then the man who had the evil spirit jumped on them, overpowered them, and prevailed against them, and they ran out of that house naked and wounded. So notice the Jewish exorcists who did not know Jesus, the new religion, were overpowered by the authority of demons. They weren't living by the authority of, of Jesus. They're living by the authority of the, of, of the religion and the demons were able to overpower them. Now over the years, I've experienced different people walk through either these doors or in, in life who I would say were demonically possessed. In fact, there was one uh, example that happened when I was brand new in ministry as a youth pastor at the time, and in this very room, we had a number of churches. We were preparing what was called the gathering. It's where all these churches came together for a youth group, and we were going to worship together. And by the way, the gathering in this era, uh, really what we didn't know at the time, was going to spark really a two or three years of what I would call a genuine youth revival. Uh, many of these youth are adults today and, and a byproduct of a just divine moment in our city's history. And so we didn't know what, uh, sometimes you just don't know what you're getting into and what God's going to do, and it's pretty cool. Uh, and so we were practicing this night. Uh, it, we didn't know that this was going to be the start of something absolutely huge in the kingdom of God, but the enemy knew. 
And so as everybody was walking up, I was the last one here. Somehow through that door in the lobby, uh, a woman in her bathrobe who was talking gibberish came through the door with a crucifix and said, I need an exorcism. I thought, oh crud, all right? So I immediately called up Allison and said, Allison, you need to get to the church pronto. Why? Well, I'm here by myself and there's a woman in a bathrobe, but that's enough, right? She's like, yes, I'll get there real quick. And then being the youth pastor, I wasn't the lead pastor at the time, I called up the senior pastor and I said, hey, uh, need an exorcism. Don't know if you've ever done one of these before, but can you get over here? Because this is above my pay grade, all right? And so he's like, sure. So we came over and we began to pray over this lady. And as we began to pray over her, eyes went back in the head, different things were happening. It was like, oh my goodness, this is, this is crazy. And so I remember uh, our, our senior pastor at the time, he's like, he was like, Lord, we just pray if there's a stubborn demon in here that she'd come out. And I literally stood out because I remembered the sons of, you know, the, the uh, Jewish itinerant preachers there of, of Skeev. And I was like, okay, I, I'm, I'm stepping out of here just in case something comes out of her right now, right? thing is, is it turns out as we prayed for her, she ended up becoming more and more coherent. And she was able to share that she was actively involved in the occult. And I want to tell you uh, that in southeast Wisconsin has been a mecca for paganism and the occult and witchcraft historically. And it's rising again, unfortunately. People are looking for spirituality and they're turning to all the wrong things. And sometimes they see the power of the enemy and they're drawn to that. It's a counterfeit. God is more powerful. The Holy Spirit is more powerful. Amen. But yet people are turning to the counterfeit, to the occult, to the Wiccan, to witchcraft. And these are often the precursors to what I've seen people who have dealt with demon possession. They're most always involved with the occult. So most demonic attacks, though, against people will not result in possession, as I spoke to you. I believe it's real, and we need to understand that. But most demonic attacks are what I call oppression. And again, if everything was demon possession, our whole society would look more like the Michael Jackson thriller uh, music video or the Night of the Living Dead. Thankfully not, uh, demon possession isn't uh, everybody whenever we're attacked. But rather, more common is demonic oppression. The enemy wants to leverage your flesh, your temptations, for his purposes. Now, demonic oppression can happen to a believer or a non-believer. Demonic oppression happens when the enemy consistently holds on to something in your life. This is a little bit different than what I call as a demonic attack. Demonic attack could be short-term, it could be uh, momentary, it could be a day, a moment, but oppression usually happens over the course of days or weeks. And this can, again, he tries to leverage your temptations, but no matter what the enemy wants, he wants to leverage these desires so that you will follow the destructive path. And so the first destructive path is succumbing to the attacks, the oppression, and even possession of the enemy. Now, the second destructive path is what the enemy tries to leverage in all three of those, and that is your flesh. The second destructive path is walking by the flesh. Galatians chapter 5, verse 17. For the flesh desires what's against the spirit, and the spirit desires what's against the flesh. These are opposed to each other so that you don't do what you want to do. But if you are led by the spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are obvious. Sexual morality, moral impurity, promiscuity, idolatry, sorcery, hatreds, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, ambition, dissension, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and anything similar. I am warning you about these things, as I've warned you before, that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is a big deal. Now, We've talked about how the enemy attacks, but not every attack is from the enemy. Some of it is us just dealing with our fallen flesh in this fallen world. I mean, have you ever dealt with somebody? They think everything's the enemy. Someone sneezed, oh my goodness, the enemy's here, right? Bless you, right? Or, or maybe the, the lights are flickering in a thunderstorm, like, oh no, oh no, Satan. No, no, the power grid's just flickering. There was a lightning bolt, right? I was in Bible college, and we had this big picture up of Jesus, and we were in a late night prayer meeting and as we were praying, the picture of Jesus fell off the wall. And I remember one of my friends like, oh no, the enemy's coming to our room. And I'm just looking at like, oh no, I thought I put the 3M tabs up wrong, right? We don't wanna give the enemy extra credit. He loves the extra credit. But we live in a world that's fallen as, an, as, as a result of Adam and Eve giving in to the temptation of Satan. Now, everything is direct demonic involvement, but a result of living in a world 
and being tempted because we have fallen flesh because of the enemy's attack on the first human beings. Now, the flesh, as we see here, this word being used in Scripture, can, be used, can mean two things. Our physical bodies or our, immater- our immaterial internal being, our souls. Now, the world can look at our physical bodies in two ways. They can emphasize our physical bodies in two ways. They can overvalue it or undervalue it. Now, the world, the unbelieving world, believes this world is all we got. So the way that they look at our bodies is very different than if you're a follower of Christ. So for the person that overvalues the body, uh, they believe that this material world is everything that we have. There's no eternity. And as a result, you serve your body as an end goal. If you think your body is it, you believe you can do whatever you want to your body, you can live by whatever rules that you want in your body. Your mind is consumed about what you want, how you look, and what you need to do to live longer. Now, I'm not saying you shouldn't just stop being healthy and being wise, being good stewards of your body, but it's not everything that you have. It's perishing. And when you believe that you can only, this is the only thing that you have, you begin to serve your body as your own functional God. And Christians, you can get sucked into this. The whole self-help industry, Christian self-help industry, really just secular thoughts with Christian words that are kind of frosted on top of them. We get into this whole kind of works-based thing of making ourselves better as the end goal of I'm better, right? We can get sucked into this thing to where we know there's eternity with Jesus, but we value this life way more. When we need to reject that, we don't want to overvalue our bodies, but we also don't want to undervalue our bodies. This is where you have no value, you, give, you assign no value to your physical bodies. In fact, back in the biblical times, or just after the New Testament was written, there was a heresy in the early church called Gnosticism, which viewed the material world as evil. And since our bodies are a mixture of material and immaterial, uh, the people that were Gnostics believed that we needed to treat our bodies harshly. And if we treated our bodies harshly, then we can release what's called the internal spark of hidden knowledge. And this heresy believed that we need to find this hidden knowledge and only then you could truly experience salvation. Luckily, Gnosticism in itself is dead today, but some of its teachings live on in new forms. And today, our our natural selves, our natural flesh, we want a guru. We want somebody to lord their authority over us. We want someone to be mysterious. And sometimes we even treat pastors this way. We forget they're human beings. We forget that, you know, Tom, we're human beings, right? No, you're not? Okay, he's your guru right there. So anyway, no, he's shaking his head no. Yes, you are, all right? I'm a human being too. And the thing is this. When people find out, oh man, Tom and Andy have families, they have kids, they go to McDonald's too, they're like, he's, he's not my guru I want. I want someone that's mysterious. I want someone who I have no access to. There's, there's, a, there's a boundary between the pastor and me. People want a guru. I'm telling you right now, that is not biblical. We are to be stewards, right? Stewards of the word of God, but yet, in Gnosticism, or even in today's thought, we want some kind of guru that has some direct red line to the Lord. Listen, uh, when I hear from the Lord, you all can hear from the Lord, amen? But we want some guru to teach us some new secret teaching from the heavens. And this is what cults hunger for. New secret teachings that only you have or only the guru has. If somebody says, I got a new teaching, or I have something that the whole church has missed for the last 2,000 years. Run from them. Run. They are trying to teach you something new as they have in Mormonism or as they have in Jehovah Witness theology. And today, even churches, we can stray into borderline New Age mysticism, focusing on things that maybe one word in one passage of the Scripture might mean. And we base our whole church off of it. We need to run from that. We need, to, we, need to, we need to be informed by the clear teaching of Scripture. And when we understand what Scripture is saying, we can then differentiate the voice of God in our life and be led by the voice of God in our life. So we're not to overvalue or undervalue our body. So how are we to treat our bodies in the Lord? 1 Corinthians 6.19 is very specific. Don't you know that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who is in you, whom you have from God? You are not your own. 
You were bought at a price, so glorify God with your body. Our bodies have value. We are made in the image of God. We are the temple of the Holy Spirit, which means when you place your faith and trust in Jesus, the Holy Spirit comes to reside in you. And when we ask the, the Spirit to fill us, uh, to lead us, uh, to empower us, to gift us, our bodies are very important for the furtherment of the kingdom of God. So we need to glorify him. Our bodies are not our own. We were bought with a price. What is the price? Jesus Christ dying on the cross, shedding his blood, and saying, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. When someone hasn't placed their faith in Christ, they're under bondage to their own desires to the flesh. And as Paul states in verse 17 of our passage this morning, for the flesh desires what's against the spirit. So there's a big warning here. And Christians, we can fall back into this. Uh, even though that you have been freed, and listen, I love this verse, has been going through my mind for weeks now, where the spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. We are free from the bondage of the flesh. We are free from the works of the law. We are free in Jesus Christ and empowered by the Holy Spirit to move the kingdom forward. We are free, and freedom is free. You don't work for freedom. Jesus did all the work for the freedom. But we don't want to take our freedom and turn it back into bondage. And that's exactly what we can do. We can say, well, you know what? I'm free and I'm going to live for myself. I'm going to go back to my old ways. So some people return to their old ways or some people never grow uh, in their Christian walk uh, into the new ways of the new life. You know, our flesh is on default, not spiritual. Our, 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 our fallen flesh, that is. All right? I've had some people say, well, I, I, I don't sin anymore. I'm like, well, you just did because he lied. We are on default drifting from the Lord if we're not leaning into the things of the Spirit. We have to lean into the things of the Spirit, be filled with the Spirit, if we're to grow more like Jesus. Jesus said it was better that he goes until he comes back so that the helper may come. How many of you have gone whitewater rafting? Some of you went on some corn mazes. We have some more whitewater rafting people in there. All right, more whitewater rafters and corn maze people. You guys are extreme. That's awesome. All right, great. Uh, we, uh, I took a bunch of teenagers from our uh, youth group uh, years ago to the Wisconsin-Michigan border. And it's a pretty easy run. There's not really any hard runs here uh, in, um, in Wisconsin. But there was one particular year, uh, the river was at a very high level. And when the river is high, the current is faster. And when the river is high, hazards sometimes are covered up. There was one particular rock at the end of the river run uh, that was usually so big that if you bumped into it, you'd just bump and you'd go on the way. But there was so much water, so much current, that only the tip of this rock was poking above the water, which means it was a major, major hazard. And of course, Murphy's Law, Murphy likes to show up, just when you least expect it, he showed up, and our boat not only hit this thing, it went over the center of this rock, collapsing our, our raft in two, throwing out half of our raft of students, sorry parents, and the guide. And so the youth pastor at the time, I'm sitting there with a few students that survived the raft. No, they all survived, but you get what I'm saying, right? And, uh, <laughs> bad word there. They, everybody survived, insurance company, okay, all right, so anyway... They're all floating, they're all getting rescued, and I'm in the boat thinking, I might be the most knowledgeable person now in the boat, and I'm not very knowledgeable about this. And so what did I do? I just let the stream take me. There are a lot of hazards in life, in our flesh, that if we're not leaning into the things of the Spirit, we will, Murphy's gonna show up. The Murphy is the devil. He's gonna show up, he's gonna leverage your flesh, and you're gonna hit that, and your boat's gonna collapse, and you're either gonna be in the boat, not knowing where to go, or you're gonna be in the water, trying to breathe. Both of them aren't good situations. And so Paul speaks specifically of these hazards. In 519, a pretty exhaustive list, which can be divided in three categories, sexual sins, spiritual sins, and social sins. So let's talk about the first list here, in for, starting in 519. Now the works of the flesh are obvious, sexual morality, moral impurity, and promiscuity. So this is the list of sexual sins that he mentions. Let's talk about sexual immorality for a moment. 
The Greek word for sexual sin in this passage is pornea. It's where we get the word pornography. Sexual sin is not new, by the way. Uh, in the New Testament time, about everything that we're facing today, uh, they faced as well. The reason why it seems like it may be more in our day is because it's broadcasted through all the various means of media. Paul fought against many of the people that were trying to normalize this in the early church. So sexual sin, by definition, is any sexual activity outside of a one-man, one-woman marriage. Anything else is outside the will of God. And Satan begs to differ with God's design on sex. You see, sex is a gift of God in the context of marriage. Sex in the bounds of marriage is an act of worship. And if you're single, your abstinence is an act of worship. Notice what the equation is not based off of. Worship, it's, it's based off worship, it's not based on sex. The equation is not about sex, it's about worship. And the thing is, is when we flip that equation and we make it all about sex, we make it about what we want, our flesh will take over, and again, we will fall into this major hazard of living for ourselves. So sexual morality, next one we see here is more impurity. Uh, that's like a wound. The word, Greek word used for that is like a wound. So when we live in sexual sin, we're not liberating ourselves. We're actually wounding ourselves. Next word we see here is promiscuity. And this is sexual indulgence without shame. And this is what we see in culture today. Uh, sexual liberty without shame. In fact, it's the attitude of celebrating sexual morality, inviting others to celebrate it and shame others who don't. So he lists the... the Hazards of sexual sins, if you're living by the flesh. The next is moral, uh, the next list is spiritual sins. We have idolatry is the first one. Idolatry is the worship or love of anything above God. So an idol can be something that might be just in itself neutral or even good in life. You can idolize your children. You can idolize marriage or the thought of marriage. You can idolize your job. You can idolize sports. You can idolize football. Oh, yeah, the kickoffs at noon or something like that, right? You can idolize a bunch of different things. You can idolize money. In fact, Jesus talked about money. Uh, it's 16 of the 38 parables dealt with money or possessions. Anything is an idol that takes up the bandwidth of our worship. Anything. The next spiritual sin we see here is sorcery. So anything that you worship above God is idolatry, but anything that you want to do spiritual apart from God is sorcery. And Paul's original way of saying this is that anything away from biblical Christianity is called the doctrine of demons. Now the word sorcery comes from the word uh, pharmaceuticos or pharma, uh, pharmakia. In the ancient occults, people would use mind-altering drugs to connect with the, the demonic. And this is why God so richly opposes getting drunk or getting high. Because when you get drunk or high, your minds are opening your, themselves up to demonic attack. I have said this to people that I believe the legalization of drugs is one of the greatest threats to the church in modern times because if the church accepts this even in private, what's happening is this, you're no longer being controlled by the filling of the Holy Spirit, you're being controlled or you're being oppressed or influenced by mind-altering drugs where you're letting in the demonic. It's modern-day sorcery. We ought not to get mixed up with this. Drugs is a counterfeit to the Holy Spirit. And it's a great threat to the church. The third category we see here are social sins. We see enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, dissensions, divisions, drunkenness, and so on. Our flesh is bent on division. The Spirit wants us to unify around the truth of Christ. We want to be mad at people. Uh, we want to hold grudges. We want to be able to excuse our anger because we're right. We want to be able to blame everybody and everything that take attention off ourselves. This is a universal thing. We don't want to look into our own hearts. I don't want to look into my own heart and see the ugliness that could be there. It's hard. And so what we try to do instead, it's a lot easier <laughs> to look at somebody else. When you go on that long camping trip and it's been three days since you showered, you can smell everybody else but yourself. Yes, I have experience of that. 
You see, when someone gets sideways on minor issues, they're trying to take attention off themselves. On preferences or grudges or digging up bones in the past. You better believe that if you or anybody else is doing this, that you take things that are like, man, what, what are they, why are they so angry about that? You better believe it's because they don't want to deal with something or you don't want to deal with something. And so instead, you're going to find something, anything, in somebody else. And so Paul says, I'm warning you about these things, as I warned you before, that those who practice such things, the whole list that he gave, will not inherit the kingdom of God. This is a strong warning. Does this mean that we're saved by good behavior? No, that's not what he's saying here. In fact, he's explicit elsewhere. It's by grace that you're saved, a free gift of God, uh, not of yourself so that nobody can boast. It's a gift of God. But when one's lifestyle is characterized constantly in the flesh, without remorse, a celebrating of the flesh, it is a pretty good indicator that maybe, just maybe, you didn't understand the gospel you said you ascribed to. You see, when you're born again, you have new desires. You have a new way of life. You're not perfect. Nobody's perfect. Don't act like it. But you're born again to live by the Spirit of God. And when we fall, God picks you up. You keep going forward, following his lead, which leads us to the only path that's fruitful. It's, a, it's not our flesh. It's obviously not the enemy. The only fruitful path that we see here in this passage this morning is walking in the Spirit. Galatians 5.22. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, Pay, oh, time out, time out, time out, time out. If you've been in the church world for more than a second, you're gonna be like, I know this passage. I, I can say it in my sleep. I want us to look at this passage, read the scripture like it's the first time you ever read it. Because when the Galatians were reading this passage, it's the first time they heard it. We need to hear, we, let, we need to let the Spirit of God speak the fruit of the Spirit to us like it's the first time that we've read it, not out of a spirit of familiarity, but a spirit of aha, a spirit perhaps of even conviction, a spirit of freedom. Galatians 5.22, let's do it again. We got this, church? Let's do it again. 5.22, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. The law is not against such things. Now those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit, not, and let us not become conceited, provoking one another, envying one another. So the only path that doesn't lead to destruction is the path of walking in the Spirit. Again, this passage is one of the best-known passages, yet it's often one of the least emphasized when we start talking about the things of the Holy Spirit. You know, when you talk about the Holy Spirit, really the first thing we typically talk about, and it should be talked about, is the gifts of the Spirit. Now, don't mishear me. The gifts of the Spirit, let's just get this out of the way here, right? We believe in all the gifts of the Spirit. We believe the gifts of the Spirit are important. And in fact, they're not just important. They are necessary to function in a way to build up the church. However... Somehow along the way, making a beeline for the gifts of the Spirit, we have forgotten about the fruit of the Spirit. And so we can function in the gifts of the Spirit. God, and by the way, it's not you doing anything, right? It's you being available. But when this Holy Spirit comes over you, when you're filled with the Spirit, and he gives you gifts of the Spirit, they're called grace gifts. He's not doing anything because you deserve it. He's giving you a gift because he wants to utilize it through you. It's a pretty cool thing. But what happens is we forget about that. And we think, oh, did you just see what I did? Can you believe that? Spoken tongues of angels, and I move that mountain. And you just go around being all pompous, right? And we forget about the fruit of the Spirit. And what happens is, when we forget about the fruit of the Spirit, and all we want to do is exhibit the gifts of the Spirit, we are one noisy gong. We are a clanging cymbal without rhythm, and it's not building anybody up. It might be building yourself up. It's not building the church up, though. In fact, it may be tearing it down. We need the fruit of the Spirit if the gifts of the Spirit are gonna function in a way that they build up. So let's take a look at the fruit. Love, that's God's love for us, through us. Not cultural's understanding of love. Our love is to be based on the love of God. Joy, people will see a difference in you if you're basing your whole self, your identity is in Christ. 
Joy, it doesn't mean that you have to like your circumstances you're facing, but you're not being robbed of the future that you have in Christ despite the circumstances you are facing. And when you have the joy of Christ, people notice it. People notice the joy of Christ. They see that there's something different. They see, uh, they see the difference in how one sees life or hungers after God or even treats people. Peace, a trust of God's future. Patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. The world should not see a group of Christians that are frantic, that are angry, that are even upset what's going on in, in the world today. Listen, it's okay to be upset what's going on in the world today, but that's not our identity. That's not what should be driving us. What should be driving us is that despite what's going on in this world, we live by a different kingdom. We've been empowered by the Lord God Almighty to be agents and ambassadors of his gospel. And for the world to see when all hope is lost, miracles are happening. You see, if you have the fruit of the Spirit, the gifts of the Spirit become powerful, sustainable, and they build up and they change lives. And when you become available for that, stuff starts to happen. I was in California about a couple weeks ago. And um, I was with uh, one of our uh, ministry partners, Roger Myers. We were with a few other people, Zach on the camera back there. Hi, Zach. Uh, he had never been to California before. And I said, hey, what are we, we going to do? He's like, well, we don't have much time. How about we just go to the Capitol building? I'd never been to the Capitol building in, in California. And they have different trees there you can see. And it's like, oh, just kill some time there. So we go there. And immediately upon our arrival, there was this frantic activist who was not having it with California, all right? There was a, some laws. I think they're going to get rid of some gender things and uh, in stores and make that law. Like some really kind of, some really, if I could just say it, this isn't political, it's just it's, it's some evil thoughts were happening in, in the state house uh, that week. And this, and this activist was just going bananas. Um, and this activist was, was taking it in their own flesh. They, she, she was angry, um, but she was cussing and swearing and obviously not being effective. And so she was talking our ear off and we're like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. And I'm like, how do I, you know when you're talking to somebody, like, how do I get out of this conversation? You know what I mean? Like, it's just, this, is, this has gone way off the left field here. Like, what do I do? And I realized, ah, our parking meter has expired. It really did. So I'm like, hey, Roger, I'll be right back. Our parking meter's expired. I'm like, sweet. So I go to the car. I pull around. Come on, guys, get in. They're like, all right. We're, we're getting in the car. And we start driving a couple blocks away. We're getting ready to go to In-N-Out Burger. And I'm, nothing's going to stop us from going to In-N-Out Burger unless it's the Lord. And then the Lord shows up. We're about ready to pull on to I-5. And as I'm getting ready to pull on I-5, I, Roger started telling me a little bit about, hey, this lady actually was in line to share something in front of the um, in front of the legislature. In fact, she got kicked out of inside, so they have a microphone outside for her, and she's gonna, she's gonna share something, but she was gonna give up her spot so I can pray, and I don't know, I didn't, I didn't think it'd be, I didn't know what I'd do with that, and so I just, we just kind of left, and I was driving, I realized, no, 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 wait, what, what, you could pray in front of the legislature? It's like, yeah, and I was like, you turn, right? We head right back to the Capitol. We walk up to that microphone. The lady's like, yep, you can have my spot. And Roger, I think we have a picture. There he is. That's on C-SPAN, California, all right? And Roger begins to pray and, and contend that the legislature gets back to the things of God, that they have strayed so much. I'm like watching, what just happened? And what happens is this. The reason why I share this is we can be so focused on going down a road and God shows up and he requires us to do a U-turn to the things that he's doing. It's all about, if you want fruitfulness in your life, it's all about being on the path of his spirit, of his spirit growing that fruit in you, his spirit of making you available to use you in that moment. We just came to look at a capital. We didn't know we were gonna address the legislature. And this is how it applies to you. You might not end up on C-SPAN, but God wants to use you in your life wherever you're at right now, where people see the fruit of the spirit they see the dynamic of the spirit, not so you can feel good about yourself. You will if God uses you. That's not the end goal. That much is made known about Jesus. God wants us to be full of the spirit so he can use you now for his purposes. And notice verse 23, of all the fruits of the spirit, there is no law against it. You know what that means? When it comes to the fruit of the spirit, you can indulge. 
You can indulge. Everything else, it's, it's off limits, right? Don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, don't do this, right? But he's like, but you want to know what you can have? You want to know what you should exhibit? You want to know where there's no law against? It is the fruit of the Spirit. You can binge on love. You can binge on joy. You can binge on peace. You can binge on patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. There is no law against it. I heard a pastor say this. His love is the soil in which the fruits of the Spirit grow. When our roots abide there, then the fruits come. The fruit of the Spirit comes when we experience being with the Spirit and He matures us into His truth. So to fight spiritual warfare, what we've been talking about in these last four weeks, one of your greatest weapons is fruit. Where you walk is where you will go. So what, do you need, what have you been binging on in life? I've been talking about this the whole series. Uh, yes, I'm going back to it. How are you doing on the Word of God? I got on my knees and pled with the church to read the Word of God because without the Word of God, you're, you're just, it's not going to work. It's not going to work. And so I got to thinking, you know, people, they binge YouTube for self-help. I, you know, there's one time I installed a dishwasher by watching YouTube. I didn't know what I was doing, right? But, you know, we binge different things in Netflix. Right now, people are watching Squid Game. I don't even know what that is, right? But anyway, people are like, have you watched that? I'm like, no, what is it? I don't know, but I've watched, like, the last, uh, you know, five episodes. Or I'm like, great. That got me thinking. How long would it take to binge the Bible? Well, if you were to read the Bible in a week, oh, yes, a week, Genesis to Deuteronomy, seven and a half hours. Joshua to 2 Kings, seven hours. First, Corinthians, uh, First Chronicles to Psalm, six hours. Proverbs to Lamentations, five hours. Ezekiel to Malachi, four hours. Matthew to Acts, five hours. Romans to Revelation, three and a half hours. I dare you. I dare somebody in this place to binge the Bible in one week. What's gonna happen in your life? I dare you. Who's gonna do it? Oh man, I don't have time. Oh, you've been binging on something, right? What if you binge the Bible? How would your life change? Got good news for you, though. You don't need to binge the Bible to have your life changed. You need to constantly be in your Bible. Listen, I'm, I'm actually, I'd love for someone to take this challenge, but here's the deal. I would much more even like to where the Bible is something you just do every day, and it begins to govern, it begins to direct your thoughts it empowers you to pray without ceasing. Make space to the Holy Spirit. Get into God's word. Walking in the Spirit is the only, only path that leads to life. I want to share a few things as our take home today. The first one is a prayer that someone sent me. Oh, about, uh, oh, wow, about two months ago. And I think it's for now. This is in first person. I'm the commander-in-chief. So they wrote this in first person as if it's the Lord. I'm the commander-in-chief, and I know all the tactics of the enemy's advances and the enemy's strategies, and even before they come into play, I have the battle plan in hand and already declare victory. Do not walk around into defeat in civilian's clothing, but advance by taking up my cross and spiritual armor. A civilian is not on active duty and not in the fight, but you're in a real fight every day. A fight to pursue me or not, a fight to follow me or not, a fight to let the worries of life drown me out or not, a fight to choose me or not, a fight to obey me or not, a fight to remain faithful to me or not. I am faithful. I'd already made my decision when I died and rose again and obeyed my father's voice. Will you remain faithful no matter the cost? Will you remain faithful? And so specifically the question I want to ask you is this this morning then. What area of fruit or fruits is lacking in your life? Because you have to plant yourself in the soil if you want the fruit to grow in your life. It's not that you're going to make it, God's going to make it. So let's spend time with the Lord right now. What fruit is lacking? What fruit needs to grow? What are the thorns? What are some of those hazards that maybe been in your life? You need to give that over to him now. We need to just spend some time. Let's spend some time and let God search our hearts. Let's do that right now. God, 
God, what is it? What is the things in our life, the thorns that we allow to grow? What are the fruits that still need to grow in our life? We seek them out. And the Spirit of the Lord is there's freedom. There's grace for you no matter what. When you fall, he'll pick you up. So, Father, I pray for the person today that is so tied in to pornography. They even feel awful they're here this morning because of last night. Heavenly Father, free them. Let them know your forgiveness. Lord God, I pray for the individual that cannot get their anger out of in control. God, only you're the one that's going to control that. God, I pray for the person that keeps on digging up what they've already said they've forgiven. Help them throw away the shovel. Let a spirit of forgiveness come over this room. Let a spirit of joy come over this room. Let a spirit of availability being your hands and feet for the gospel come over this room. Let a spirit of condemnation vanish. Let those sins that we try to make our identity be no more. Let us see our identity in you. As we continue to pray, I want to speak to anybody in this room right now who's never placed their faith and trust in Jesus. If there's anybody in this room if you're uncertain that if Jesus Christ were to come back right now that you'd go to heaven, this is your moment to become certain that you'll go to heaven. This is your moment to be certain that you have been saved from your sins. So if you're uncertain, listen up. This is what you need to do. You need to acknowledge that God made you. He created you. He's our creator God. He created you. But our sin has separated us from Almighty God. That's why Jesus came, because when we are separated from God, there is no good work that can bridge that chasm. But Jesus Christ went to the cross to pay for every single one of our sins, past, present, and future. And because Jesus is a perfect, sinless sacrifice, he rose from the dead. The Bible says to receive this forgiveness that he accomplished on the cross and through his resurrection, you need to place your full faith in Jesus Christ and what he did for you right now. Just say, Lord Jesus, I believe in you. I place my faith and trust that you died on the cross to save me from my sins. I believe that you rose from the dead. I believe in you right now. I give my life to you. With every head's bowed and eyes closed, if that's you today, you made Jesus Christ your savior. You placed your faith and trust in him alone. You made certain of it this morning. With everybody, with every head's bowed and eyes closed, if that's you though, we just make eye contact with me. I just want to just want to pray for you this week. Mm-hmm. Awesome. Thank you, God, for those that are saying yes to you this morning. Pray for anybody at home that's doing likewise, that are placing their faith and trust in you alone. And Lord, I pray for our church. That God, today, today we would take up your armor. Today that we plant our feet and produce spiritual fruit. And that today, God, we be available for you to use us to build your church and to advance your kingdom. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks again for listening to this week's episode. Again, if you'd like more information about Emmanuel Kenosha Church, then check us out online at kenosha.church. Also, we'd love it if you'd connect with us on Facebook or Instagram at kenosha.church. Lastly, if you enjoyed this podcast, we encourage you to subscribe to us so that you never have to miss an episode. At Emmanuel, we are not perfect people, but real people being made new through Jesus. Thanks for listening to this week's episode, and we'll see you next week on the Emmanuel Kenosha Church podcast.